0: Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 read, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the Church. Hello, and welcome back to Think This Way. This is the podcast of Faith Bible Church here in Evansville, Indiana, and I as always, am one of the pastors here, Bryce, and also the host of this podcast. Today, you have me all by myself. We are starting a new quarterly focus as of today on this podcast uh, for January, February, and March of this year. We're going to be thinking together about family, and that's a lot to pack into three months. <laughs> I hope you understand that the quarterly focus is—it doesn't mean that the subject that we are focused on. In this quarter are unimportant all the rest of the quarters, but most of us grow just in one area at a time. At least that's true for me, um, and so having a focus on one area is meant to kind of jumpstart that area of our thinking and acting. But hopefully that doesn't fade out all the rest of the quarter over the three-year rotation. But anyways, January, February, March, we are focused on family that includes marriage. Parenting, singleness, divorce, sexuality, abuse, mothers embracing their call, fathers not provoking their children. And you may be listening to this and may yourself be married, maybe young married, old married, married many years or just a few years, about to get married. You might be single with no marriage prospects. You might intend to be single your whole life. You might be widowed. You might be divorced. You might be a mixed family. You could be any number of things. And no matter what your status or situation at the moment, I assure you that this quarterly focus will matter to you. It will be relevant, first of all, because as we're going to see today, marriage is not about itself and family is not about itself. It is about God and the gospel, and those are things that matter deeply to you as a Christian, no matter what your situation is. Secondly, these things that relate to family matter a lot to you, even if you're not married, or don't have children, or whatever the case may be, because you are your brother's keeper and you are your sister's keeper. So even if God calls you to singleness right now, you have a responsibility to love, serve, and help your brothers and sisters who are married and their children, and so forth. So I'm excited to jump in with you to this new quarterly focus on family. To begin today, I want to talk about Something that on the one hand might not seem incredibly practical, we're not doing parenting tips right now, we will later, we're not doing parenting tips right now or how to improve communication in your marriage, but instead I want to start at the most foundational level possible in thinking about marriage. So this is deep foundation that we're starting with before we get into all the other subjects that we will on this podcast over the next few months. So, the first thing I want to talk about here is this question of, why is there family? Why is there family? There is family, no one can debate that, but the question is, why? And I ask that question, and it's not just a theoretical question um, that odd people think about by themselves, It's not that kind of a question, because the reality is there are societies, or at least one society exists, in which there is no family, and it appears to function fine. And I'm talking about angels. God created angels, and Jesus made clear in Matthew 22, verse 30, that those who are resurrected in the future life, quote, neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven which communicates to us that the angels in heaven do not have marriage as we know it. And I think it's probably safe to assume that without marriage, there's not procreation, there's not children. And yet angels are a society. There are angels. They function. They fulfill their God-given purpose. They have intellect. They have relationships. We'll be with them. They're here with us invisibly. And there's no family in the way we know it, among angels. So when God created us, who uniquely bear his image, people, why did he make family a core part of our experience? Um, To begin answering that question, we actually need to take a step back from family, broadly considered, and just think about marriage. We're going to see, as Clint Archer says in his book, The Home Team, which is the one we'll have available for purchase in the foyer at cost, and Andrew Walden will be doing a Sunday school roughly based on The Home Team by Clint Archer, Clint Archer calls marriage the nucleus of the nuclear family. In other words, family, broadly considered, more narrowly is based upon marriage. That's the, that's the core, not the parent-child relationship that comes afterward, The foundation of family is actually husband-wife relationship, marriage. So we start with the question then, if we're asking why family, we have to start with why marriage? That's where it all starts. Why is there marriage among those who bear God's image? And the answer to that question, we could give a variety of answers, which we actually will do, I believe, next week, practical Answers like it provides security, a stable environment for the raising of children. It provides companionship. Many There are many purposes for marriage, but I want to get to the very bottom one because God could provide stability and comfort and companionship in other ways, but he chose this way to do it, marriage. The very bottom of why God chose marriage to exist among us people is provided for us very clearly in Ephesians chapter 5 which I quoted at the start of this podcast, Ephesians 5.31 has Paul quoting the single most important verse on marriage in the Bible. So, you'll want to memorize this one. It's Genesis 2.24. Both Jesus and Paul in the New Testament, when they make their arguments about marriage, they quote this verse. It's foundational. Genesis 2.24, which says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is what the narrator, Moses, says in Genesis chapter 2, right after the first marriage of Adam and Eve takes place. They get married, first marriage, Adam and Eve, and then the narrator, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says: The marriage of Adam and Eve is a pattern of all marriages, where a man leaves father, mother, holds fast to his wife, the two become one flesh. Now, jumping back to Ephesians 5, Paul quotes that in verse 31, that's marriage. What's amazing, though, is verse 32 holds the key as to why there is marriage. Paul says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it, the mystery, it, pointing back to marriage, I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage exists in order to refer to Christ's relationship to the church. And the church here is the big C church, all genuine believers, not a specific building or something. It is Christ's relationship with his people. God, knowing that Christ would have a relationship with his redeemed people, decided before the foundation of the world, that he would make marriage a thing. He thought it up. Nobody counseled him about it. He just thought it up. Marriage. And he thought this among people will help them understand something of Christ's relationship with his redeemed people, where the husband is playing the role of Christ, loving and laying down his life for his wife. We'll see that in a later episode. The wife is playing the role of God's people, the church, submitting to, respecting the husband. And we'll see that as well in a future relationship. But that's the point here is marriage. And I would add to that the romantic relationship that leads to marriage and is involved in marriage. which includes infatuation and all kinds of things. Love, what we will call romantic love. All of that, which is centered in marriage in God's mind, doesn't exist for itself. Marriage is not about marriage. Romantic love is not about romantic love. I know it's almost every song on the radio is about romantic love. The end. But romantic love, as powerful as it is, and it's probably the most powerful thing in this life, short of God himself, but romantic love, as powerful as it is, is not an end in itself. It was made by God specifically to point us away from itself to Christ and the church. So a man who falls in love with a woman, and they get married, that powerful love, he can't stop thinking about her. He loves her, and that matures over time into something more steady but fully committed, I would die for you type of love. That shows us something about that's how Christ loves us. And then her response in an ideal situation shows us something about how we respond to Christ. That's why marriage exists. So why marriage as the nucleus of family? Why did God make it among people? Even if unbelievers are getting married, even if people who don't know the name of Jesus are getting married, they exist, marriage exists, and their marriage exists as it does Pretty much universally in all cultures, it exists to communicate to us something about Christ's love for the church and her response of love to him. We could talk about how the oneness of marriage is also meant to help us understand, I think, really something of the Trinity, although not fully, because here you have two people getting married and there's a one flesh relationship the closest oneness among two people we know on earth, it is not the same as, but probably was designed to help us begin to understand something of the fact that in the Trinity there are three persons who are one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we're going to put that aside for now because that's a whole nother discussion. For now, clear testimony of Ephesians 5.32 is that God made marriage so that you would better understand Christ's love for the church and her love for him. Now, I have one more thing to talk about here, because like I said, marriage is the nucleus of the family, so now you know why marriage exists. But God did not have to make marriages lead into the having of children. So again, before the foundation of the world, there were no children. There was not even a concept of humans forming inside other humans over a nine-month period and then coming unto their own in this world. That was not a concept. God thought that up in his mind. Nobody counseled him. He thought that up. That also didn't have to exist. Like I said, probably doesn't exist among the angels. But God thought it up. Why? Now, we don't have a single verse like we do with marriage that says, hey, this is why marriage exists. Now, in this case, this is why having children exists, and thus parenting exists, but I think we can say with some safety, with some degree of safety, that having children, among many other things, exists, perhaps most foundationally, to help us understand God as Father. Let me explain that. If you're reading the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, then you see very often Jesus relating to God as Father. He is my Father. And Jesus refers to himself as the Son. He is the Son of God. So there you have two persons of the Trinity, the Triune Godhead, the Father, and the Son. And notice that that's the language Jesus chose to use. He chose to use that language specifically with a purpose. Now, for any of us to hear Jesus use that language, for him to say that God is his Father and that he is his Son, for that to make any sense to us at all, for that to be meaningful in the least, we have to have a reference point of fathers and sons that we've encountered before hearing Jesus say those things. We need to know what a father is and what a son is, or you could say, in this case, a parent and a child. We have to know what a parent-child relationship is for Jesus' relationship with the Father to make sense. By extension, we can say that since Jesus teaches all of us who have trusted in him to call God our Father, that that would not mean anything at all to us unless we had some concept, even an imperfect concept, but some concept of what it means for there to be a father. And to be a father, you have to parent a child. You have a child. Parent a child. So the parent-child relationship, it exists for many reasons, but the most foundational reason for it, just like marriage, most foundationally is not about marriage, but is about Christ's relationship with the church parenting most foundationally is not about parenting, but it is about, in this case, the father's relationship with his own unique son and also the father's relationship with us as his sons and daughters. And you can see this in the way Jesus talks. For example, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. Jesus says, "'If you then who are evil,' know how to give good gifts to your children. So he is referring to human parent-child relationships, even broken imperfect ones, because they're evil. But if you as an evil imperfect parent know how to give good gifts to your children, then he says, how much more? In other words, here's the shadow parent-child relationship. Look at it, understand it, imperfect as it is, and now trace it up to the substance. Why does that shadow exist? To point you to what's casting the shadow. What's casting the shadow? How much more will your father, father, your father, you're the child, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? You see the comparison between God as a father in relation to you as his child and you, if you're a parent, in relation to your child but it's how much more, meaning that is more original. God's relationship with his people, especially God's relationship with his own son within the Trinity, that's more original. And now parent-children relationship on this earth exists as a shadow, as a help to point us to what is bigger, to what is better. If this is an unusual concept to you, Just keep thinking about it. It is biblical. It is in scripture. We'll have a lot more practical things to say about marriage, but I do want to make it so clear that marriage is not about marriage and parenting is not about parenting. Family is not about family. One of the best expressions I've heard of this, I saw again the other day when I was rereading This Momentary Marriage, a book on marriage by John Piper. In the introduction, he talks about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died in a Nazi prison in 1945 in April, April 9th, which was just before the Allies would have freed him. He was 39 years old. He was engaged to Maria von Weddenmeyer. They were supposed to be married, but he died there, which is a tragedy. But I love what Piper says. Piper says, after he dies, Piper says, so he, Bonhoeffer, never married. He skipped the shadow on the way to the reality. That's why the New Testament, like in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says singleness is a better situation to find yourself in than marriage, which to many of us can be shocking. Many of us anticipate being married or are married. But the reason that Paul can put marriage in its proper place, a romantic love is not the end-all be-all of life, is because he knows marriage is not about marriage. Parenting is not about parenting. Family is not about family. We strive to do all of these things well so that we can better reflect the originals behind them, namely God and his relationship with us. Now, you may have only thought of marriage or parenting as ends in themselves. Maybe they're your whole life. They're everything you've aspired to. They're everything you pour your energies into. On the other hand, maybe you've totally neglected your marriage, or you've neglected parenting, or you've neglected the idea of family, you've minimized these things. Whatever the case may be in the past, may God help us all now, by His grace, to think this way.